Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Curious Competitor Podcast. I'm your host today, current New Jersey Devils defenseman, Connor Carrick. Our guest today is Steve Dangle, a professional hockey fan out of Toronto. He is the author of the book, This Team is Ruining My Life, But I Love Them, How I Became a Professional Hockey Fan. He's interesting uh, to me, frankly, because, you know, we talk about in this podcast, we reminisce a little. Uh, he, you know, grew all the way uh, as a Marley sort of beat reporter at one point, doing videos independently on his own to eventually doubling down on his video efforts and and building a brand and, and trust with his audience to becoming a full-time sports media personality. And he's someone uh, that has built his brand, you know, on being genuine and authentic, uh, but optimistic about his club. And and this really is a discovery of that. How can we uh, talk together about, you know, what is brand development? And then uh, the second, secondly, I want this to be a celebration of a game we both love. I'm a professional hockey player. He's a professional hockey fan. I'm hoping uh, in our conversation today that Dangle wants to know a little bit of my perspective on the game, and I definitely uh, want to know his, as, as I can really never go back. I started out as a fan, uh, but it's really difficult now uh, to witness and experience the game uh, as a fan and not as a player. So without any further ado, let's welcome Steve Dangle. Let's do this. Well, Steve Dangle, first off, want to start with uh, welcome to the Curious Competitor Podcast. What an alternate reality where I'm interviewing you today, huh? Does that does that feel odd as a as a Leafs fan? Yeah, it's really weird. It's also it's it's especially strange. Um, like you're someone who was not just on my podcast, but like like I covered you, I talked about you for a long time, like from when the Leafs acquired you to that crazy 2016 playoff run with the Marlies. I took, I took that photo of you, that, that badass photo with the black eye, um, all the way to when you were traded to Dallas and, and, and now we're talking here and I, I think you're going through devil's training camp, right? It's, yeah, it's yeah, wild it's, to me. It's one of the dying days of training camp. It's, um, I think there's a lot of fun routes to go with this podcast. We've got yourself, you know, bonafide professional hockey fan, uh, you know, with a professional hockey player, um, and I having played in, you know, the special market that is Toronto for the, you know, as Torontonians would say, the Toronto Maple Leafs, you know, you got to flow it all into, into one word. Um, yep. you know, I do, I will say, I appreciate, I watched some of the videos before our interview today. I did watch, uh, your reviews on the trades and I appreciate, you know, the friendly spin because, you know, there were, quite a few ups and downs in my Leafs career. You mentioned it, you know, with the Marlies really wanted to, you know, try to bottle up some of that offense and bring it to the Leafs and uh, wasn't able to do so. And then, you know, had high hopes going to Dallas to basically went there to play 10 games and then break my leg. So that was a bit of a a sob story too, but I got to appreciate, you know, in Toronto media, it's not easy to always uh, put a positive spin on the players, but I I think that, you know, you're realistic, but I, I appreciate the tone. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure I had some criticisms in there too, and everything. But I, again, it's like like you said, it what a weird job description, you know, professional hockey fan. Like, um, if someone ever goes, you know, oh, well, you never played. I'm like, I never said I did. You know, like you got I me. never. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got me, and and you know, to you know, I I got people who you know stop playing or they played at a high level when they were twelve or something, you know, chirping me for that. It's like, you know, you're, you're really good at, uh, 
What what's that board game operation where, where <laughs> yeah, you gotta yeah, like yeah. pull out the little plastic pieces and you know talking like you're a surgeon? Like, buddy, it's not the same. <laughs> it's not the same. I I have lots of friends who went to high school uh, or who I went to high school with who played hockey with Wayne Simmons growing up. They're, they're not in the NHL. You know, there, there's yeah. levels to this, right? So it's a great point. Um, but generally, I don't know. I'll just straight up, I'll, I'll tamper because I don't work for the organization. I wish you were still a Leaf. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We'll uh, we'll have a conversation after whether we edit that out or not. But you know, I, it's I, I am interested. I was uh, you know kind of the regime now is a full on you know Kyle Dubas Sheldon Keefe regime, and I was able to see that at the Marlies level and really appreciated. Uh, the focus on development and just the way that we played and never got to experience that as a player, you know, with the, you know, Mike Babcock was still the coach and Kyle was new uh, as GM. And, um, you know, I will check in on from time to time, just, you know, with old Leafs friends, just to see kind of what's under the hood over there. And, and uh, I don't know, when you play in Toronto, you do have a certain respect for the love of the team that the fans have. And I think if there's two things I want to cover today in our podcast is one, I'd like to celebrate our game, honestly. Like, I, I want to know a little bit of your background of, of why you're such an avid hockey fan, why you're such an avid Leafs fan. I think that, you know, I'm middle of a pressure-cooked, you know, training camp. It always is uh, this time of year. And I think to reminisce upon why even I love this game and, and to see it from your eye, I, like, I can't go back, right? I can't just watch a nice highlight goal anymore uh, and think, wow, what a nice play. Like I'm analyzing the gap. I think the defenseman's stick was in the wrong position. I'm shocked that the goalie wasn't able to get out further. So I'm, I'm not able to put on that, you know, friendly face where I can just watch the game and, you know, grab popcorn like I did when I was a kid. And then second, I think I'm trying to borrow a little bit from what, what you've been able to do in terms of, how consistently you've been able to produce content. You said you started in, you know, 20, uh, sorry, uh, 2007 with the Leafs fan reaction and just consistently have built up. I mean, what's your podcast hit now? Colin pulled some uh, 50 to 60,000 downloads per episode. I mean, that's bananas. Uh, big. So uh, is that yeah, right? Something like that between, between listens and YouTube viewership. Yeah. Something like that. I love it. And uh, you know, so let's just, let's start with the celebration of the Leafs. Like where did your love for the game start? Um, and how has it, you know, how have you always loved this team? Because as you do mention in your book, like this team can be hard to, to love. And by this team, I mean one of my exes, the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> one of your exes. Um, you know, so what, what I say in the book is I remember the 93 series between the Leafs and Kings. And I remember having this um, this conundrum as, as a kid. I was only like five. Because I was like, well, the Leafs are the best team in the world. That's that was my absolute as a five year old. Non negotiable, yeah. Non negotiable. They're the best team in the world, but they're playing the best player in the world, and he's got like superpowers. So like, how is this gonna work? Which means, you know, if that's one of my first memories, that means I already knew who Gretzky was. I already knew who the Leafs were. I already knew what hockey is. So I've literally been a Leafs fan since before I can remember, wow. and. Uh, you know, you know, my, my my first game I ever saw in person was February fifth, nineteen ninety four. It was uh, Leafs Red Wings. So, you know, I, I remember it being a very um, short conversation with my dad, who's he's like not even that huge of a sports fan. Uh, he's more of a music guy. He's a drummer. He's in his sixties, and he still like he plays like metal and he blasts the things. Like he's really good. Um, but I, I remember just being a really short conversation, like, uh, who do we cheer for? And he said, the, uh, 
Toronto Maple Leafs. And I go, but we don't live in Toronto. Because at the time, Scarborough, where I grew up, was not part of Toronto mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. It, it was, uh, and he goes, well, that's okay. We're close enough. And I said, good. Okay, cool. They're my team. I, I just remember like just being in the car one day and having that conversation. And for some reason, I've loved them ever since. Like if if it wasn't my job to yell and scream about them for a living, I would be that insufferable person at your office. Uh, and I was definitely that person at the Toronto Zoo for seven years when I, when I was working there in the summer and everything. Like I would, I, you know, I'd always take out the receipt paper if I was working at one of the sitting down jobs and I'd write out what I thought the line should be. One day I remember being so bored, I wrote down every current leaf I can think of. Then I wrote down every leaf ever I can think of. Then I just wrote down every NHL player name. I get and the wall looked like a beautiful mind after. So, you know, it's it's a shame I never really got to play. I'm I'm starting to pick it up now. Well, that's awesome. I was starting to pick it up, and then they shut the arenas down Not <laughs> because awesome, of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. But um, you, you know, I'm I'm having fun with it. Hockey's been good to me, even though I haven't really, you know, I, I've never had to get a black eye from it or break a leg or lose a tooth or, or anything like that. So I, I can, I count myself pretty lucky. I mean, that's honestly one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you, uh, you know, during training camp, because this is one of the, you know, trying times in a pro hockey player's career. You're, you're shuffling and battling. We have a new coach here in New Jersey uh, for new roles and new ice times. And, you know, especially in a year, you know, post COVID, like it's just anarchy out here with the the waiver wire and different teams against the cap. And I don't know, I wanted to, I guess, bottle some of that. Cause as a player, that is what I go through, right? Like I do have this deep uh, love for the game, but I also have this undying need to be better than I was yesterday. And, you know, the truth of the matter is so does every other player in the league. That's what makes it so beautiful and so competitive. And, you know, you look back over the course of my career, like I'm, I'm proud of that Marley's photo. You know, I, I remember distinctly um, the single mindedness, the single, this, this uh, singularity and focus that I had, like I was so dialed in uh, and it was cool because the way the Marlies were like, there were all these expectations, right? That year they had a loaded team. I think they finished tops in the HL. We didn't win that year, which is still one of my greatest, you know, career regrets. Um, but you also knew with where the Leafs finished, they're in last place. There was going to be this gold rush, you know, to prove to the brass that you were going to be a part of the club moving forward. Well, you could see them every night. Like Lou and Mike Babcock were like in this one particular suite uh, and DJ Smith that I remember like, you could, you could kind of see them uh, game in, game out. You knew like every good play was, you know, a check mark. Every bad one, you were hoping it wasn't the one where they, you know, cross your name off the list. And it is a, uh, it's a beautiful game that we play, but w- like, what is it that you love so much about hockey? What is it about the sport in particular uh, that has kept your interest, right? Like, cause kids, kids love a lot of things, you know, they, they love other sports. Uh, there, you know, there's a range of pull on, on, you know, kids attention, but I mean, you've been at this a long time now. Um, what is it about the game that keeps you hooked? Um, well, that keeps me hooked. I just think it's really fun. It's really fast. It's super exciting. It can change on a dime, too. It's not like, um, you know, late 90s. You're down with, you, you know, I th- there's a few old Leafs clips where they score a goal to go ahead with like 90 seconds left. And the announcer is shouting and screaming like the game is done. And I'm like, it, 
in t- 2021, 90 seconds, that's an eternity, but it, it was just... It's a long, it's a long bout, yeah. Yeah, getting that goal or even, you know, a pair of goals uh, back then, it's a death sentence. You, you couldn't do it. Um, but I still liked it. Um, you know, in, in my book, I sort of get into, you know, so my sister was born when I was three and a half or whatever, and, you know, several disabilities, and she required a lot of attention. And, you know, my parents were... You know, they were very aware that they had another child to raise as well as her. Um, But, you know, there were a lot of times where I was left to my own devices. And that's why, Mm -hmm. like, I don't know, that's probably why I'm so loud now, uh, because I've always had to sort of get like attention seeking tactics um, sort of thing. I've always been drawn to people who could draw attention. Right. So, you know, uh, characters that made my parents laugh or characters who, you know, just went bonkers on TV or something like that. But what was so unique, um, you know, not a cartoon or not a crazy movie or something, is every couple nights or whatever, everyone would just sit down in front of the TV and watch hockey. So, you know, maybe if, if you know, in some sort of alternate reality, I grew up somewhere else and what was on in the house was baseball. Or it was basketball or something like that. I would love it for that reason. But I guess that's what initially brought me in is it was this um, activity of, you know, togetherness uh, with my family and people would come over and I got to be part of it as a kid. You know, it felt pretty cool and I've never been able to shake it. Yeah, that unshakability, I... I experienced the same thing. Like I remember growing up, I played soccer for a bit. I thought golf was too slow. My dad, you know, was a scratch handicapper and he was dying for me to play golf. And I just, you know, eh, it was okay. I played baseball, you know, quite seriously. Like we played, uh, Illinois Sparks was our club. Like we had, you know, some first round MLB draft picks and, you know, we played a hundred games a year. We had the indoor dome, like all top of the line stuff. And it just wasn't for me. It was fun. It, It was, uh, you know, I took it as seriously as I maybe would, you know, like a game of family monopoly, but hockey for me was it. Like it was, it was in my core. I needed to play well. I obsessed over it. I would, I would watch uh, film. YouTube was my favorite, you know, coach growing up where I would just go and watch X amount of Ovechkin highlights and Mike Green and, you know, uh, name two capitals just by chance. But, you know, very similar. We're just from an early age. Like I never made a decision that hockey was going to be it but it was just always it. It was, I, I, I don't know what it was. And one of my youngest memories, I remember, uh, I was growing up, I was playing house, house league hockey, uh, for, you know, whatever you're assigned a team. It was the Bruins, right? You're all named after like an original six club. And I get done playing and I'm, I'm leaving the rink and I've got my roller bag still. And I can still remember we're in the, uh, European rink at the old Arctic ice arena, which was in, in Orland park, Illinois. It was about two minutes by car from where I grew up and, and 10 minutes by walking. And I click, 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 like come up the staircase, you know, from uh, the locker room. And I'm just tall enough to see over the hedge of the, the boards where the you know boards end and the glass starts. And there were like two or three teammates of mine getting back on the ice with a different Jersey on, you know, our Bruins one was Bruins colors, you know, black and yellow. And they were wearing like black and silver and white. And I started asking my dad, I'm like, Hey, what are, what are those guys going back out on the ice for? Like, why, why aren't I going on the ice? And it turns out like there was like a travel uh, team uh, showcase that my dad had missed. There was like a tryout. I was irate. Like I was losing my mind. Uh, and that's like at one of, as early as it gets, like I was jealous, uh, competitive, 
uh, and I wanted to, you know, be on the ice and similar, I think to you where, I don't know if it's an attention thing or just being the oldest of three boys. Like I value myself as a leader. So I still, I still, that little kid in me still struggles the same way. All of a sudden coach puts someone else on a power play and I can't figure out why, you know, it's not my job to lead the club uh, to victory. So I don't know if that's the scope of, of our conversation. Maybe, uh, you know, someone who's maybe more trained professionally in, <laughs> in that arena can help us explain our career success. Um, but it just goes to show that some of these stories we identify with as a young age, they, they do, you know, continue to shape us in both positive ways that we can see and maybe not so positive that we, we don't always know of. Well, so here, let me ask you this then, because one, one thing I've heard several times growing up is uh, a neighbor across the street growing up was a cop. And he always said um, that it was important to have friends who weren't cops. Because it's easy to, you know, that's that's your whole world. That's that's your work. And then it becomes your life as well outside of work. Do you think it's important to have friends who have, you know, forget the NHL. They have nothing to do with hockey even or at least playing it professionally. I just did a podcast for this exact reason with Ben Finelli from the played for the Kitchener Rangers. Yep. And I tell a story in the podcast where there was a hit, Mike Leambus, you know, found him on a backside, uh, blind and, and really violent hit, you know, Ben missed two years of hockey. I used to watch that video before I would go train. Like it fueled me that fear of, you know, the OHL was pretty nasty right before I got there. You know, there was still like the Zach Cassians of the world and uh, Mike Leambus. And there was a hit each and every year that made you wonder, like, if that were me, like what, what, how many pieces would you know, would I be in, uh, after that hit? So, you know, you really did have this like decision before training. Do I want to be the predator or the prey? And I really would put myself in this mindset that I'm going to do everything I can, uh, to be on the hunt. And, you know, it's very sobering. Anytime you talk to somebody outside the real world, uh, there's just generally a little bit of a lower bit of intensity. I don't want to say that their, their lives maybe aren't as fast paced. Maybe that's what I'm looking for. Um, and I think it's very important to have friends and conversations around life around outside of hockey, because it really can be this all consuming experience at times. Uh, the way I describe it is, you know, it's similar, like an hourglass, you know, you're seeing the sand, you know, drop through and every day, like everyone asks you, you know, what do you want to do when you're done? Uh, you know, how's your career going? How much longer do you want to play? And you're really just trying to squeeze on every last day. And the NHL is so beautifully competitive. And I don't always feel that way. There's sometimes where I'm, I just, you know, damn the whole league. I can't believe how, how tight it is and, and how brutal it can be on certain players. You know, there's a, you know, one day you're, you're chicken salad and the next day you're chicken shit, you know, to your, to your coach and your GM. And it, it's, you know, can be ruthless that way, but similar to your cop neighbor, like I do have friends that I'll check in from time to time just to peek into the real world, you know, get outside of, uh, the day-to-day, you know, microcosm that is the league. And it is super sobering and the shoulders just come down a little bit, right? Like you, you realize maybe this isn't the end all be all. And you know, I, I shared it with you, like I'm bound to be a father here in the next, you know, three to six weeks, depending on, um, you know, Lexi's official due date. And I mean, what a sobering event that can be, right? Like I can't, uh, very grounding for everyone I've talked to. 
Yeah, man. Um, so my my kid is uh, about six and a half months. You're in for a time, man. You're, you're, you're in for, um, it's going to be, it's going to be really, you know, I, I got a lot of advice that was very accurate and, um, a lot of parents were just like, listen, the first three months, you just weather it. You just, you weather it, try not to wish time away. Um, you know, bond with your kid, have as much fun with it as you can. The sleep dude, it's tough. You think, you know. I had no idea. And, you know, I've uh, for a long time stayed up late, you know, gotten up early, um, you know, pulled all nighters for assignments, pulled all nighters to make videos. And I'm like, I know what it's like to be sleep deprived. Man, you can do that for a few weeks. Three months is tough. But then sort of right after then you hit this sweet spot where Oh, I don't even know how to describe it. I'll, I'll end with this, though. He's six and a half months now, and we wake up every morning, and we watch sports highlights together. And he That's loves awesome. it. He loves it. He loves hockey, gets really excited at hockey, although there hasn't been a lot of hockey highlights recently. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he loves soccer, too. Did, uh, did, those, you, show those him, big did you show him the U.S. win, World Junior? Did, that, did those clips come out, or did they uh, not play those on He's, TSN this year? No, I don't show him lewd uh, <laughs> images, uh, things that are un- unfit for young eyes. I would, I would never young show Canadian him something eyes, so yeah. heinous, yeah. Connor. Yeah, you don't say. Yeah. You don't say. Yeah. Um, you know, so as you go through this process of, you know, from 2007, you're eventually hired in 2014 by Sportsnet. Like, what happened in this time? It obviously wasn't... Uh, I've seen your first couple videos... Colin sent them to me out of, out of humor. Uh, we can dig those up if we have to. Um, I can't, <laughs> I can't say they, they look to me as like a calculated dream career move, but eventually you just stuck with it. And like, I've seen your videos now. They're awesome. Like you're, you're loud, you're engaging, uh, you're, you're insightful. You're like, you're, you're transparent, but you, you know, spin a little bit of fan, like positivity on it where there's like still hope. Um, which ones did I watch? I watched the Joe Thornton signing clip. I watched a couple of mine. I watched your first couple. But, but so what happens between, you know, 2007 uh, to 2014? Like, what was that climb like? Man, just trying. Just, uh, I feel like I got laid off more than I got hired, uh, you know? So I said, I, I worked at the Toronto Zoo for seven years, but that was just to like pay for school and pay for dive bar beer and and stuff of that nature, basically. Um, but, uh, I got, so I, I started the videos and, you know, barely anyone watched them. I didn't make any money. Like I, I didn't become a YouTube partner until 2009. So there's two seasons just yeah. free basically. Um, and it wasn't until I got an internship because of school, um, at, uh, the fan 590, which is now Sportsnet 590. Um, it wasn't until I got that internship where I, that was my first sort of foot in the industry. Cause YouTube wasn't a realistic option back then. Right. It wasn't a realistic career path. So I get in there and I do a junior hockey show, um, where you might've even, what, what years were you in the, the, Oh, I played one year, 2012, 2013. No. Okay. Sorry. This is way before you. So this was like Jordan Eberle scoring against Russia. Right. Yep. So this, this is 2009. Um, so 
I'm in there, I'm doing this this junior hockey show, and one of the guys on that show happened to work for Leafs TV. And he starts talking about this idea called Leaf Space, which is going to be like a Leaf fan version of MySpace. And what, but we, we want people to submit videos for it and we'll put them on TV, but we need like, like a star. Like we need like someone who's on it every day. And I was already doing these videos for two years and he didn't know. And I didn't tell him for a few weeks um, because I didn't, I didn't want anybody to know about this like little sideshow that I had on my YouTube channel. Like I, I thought it was going to uh, take away points for me professionally. Yeah. And then finally I go, okay, you're going to think this is stupid, but <laughs> I have this YouTube channel. And I just remember he called me a couple days later. He's like, I finally checked it out. We're going to make you a star. Like, oh my God, you're exactly what we've been looking for. And it's sort of, you know, it went from there. Um, I was an intern at Leafs TV. Then they hired me. Then there were uh, some cuts, had to move on. Learned to write a little bit, got cut from that, had to move on, uh, went from doing highlights at Leafs TV to doing CBC, got cut, highlights at NHL Network, got cut, highlights for the KHL, they didn't pay me for like six months, asked for me to come back, I said no. Um, so <laughs> Why is that? Because uh, you didn't pay me for six months, how about that? Uh, they just, oh God, we can get into that, they just, they don't get it, they don't, they don't get time. They yeah, don't get yeah, money today versus money tomorrow. It was eleven thousand dollars, and That's which not nothing, for me, yeah. <laughs> That's not nothing. Yeah, no, I, I, I was twenty five, and like that was a life changing amount of money. Like I, yeah. we then took that money, and I contacted my fiance at the time, now wife, and I go, okay, we can actually get a house now. Like we can go out and like that was enough. That was for, the egg, yeah. it was. It, it put us in striking distance of a down payment, right? So yeah. it was a life-changing amount of money. And then we started the podcast in 2013. So this goes all the way back to like 2004 in high school. So Adam Wilde, who is now a radio personality up here, he he's always wanted to be in radio. And he said to me in a class one day, he's like, one day you and I are going to have a sports show together. I go, yeah, okay, sure, 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 whatever. So we graduate. Uh, he pings all around the country. He's got a radio show in Halifax, comes back to Toronto for a bit, goes to Calgary. And then when he finally decided he was going to be in Toronto for like pretty permanently, he goes, hey, why don't we try that sports show? And I sort of had this built in following already. So w once I had been laid off by everything, we had this podcast and it was doing w really well. And I said, you know what? I'm sick of getting laid off. So I'm just going to do this on my own. I'm not going to look for work. I'm just going to try to be Steve Dangle for a living. Like, I'm going to try to make money on YouTube. I'm going to try to make money off this podcast and somehow not lose the house. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And then shortly before the 2014-15 season began, I get a call from someone who was like a mid-morning producer when I was an intern in 2008. Fast forward six years later, he's in management. And he goes, I have an idea for a job for you at Sportsnet. Uh, so he hires me behind the scenes. Someone at Sportsnet realized who I was. And he goes, well, is he making stuff for us? And they go, no. And he goes, well, that's stupid. Have him make stuff for us. And then uh, sure enough, uh, now it's 2021 and that's what I'm doing. It's still what I'm doing.
I love that. That was Somewhere a very long answer, but the, the, the book is, it goes into better detail. <laughs> well, I, I love that though. Cause I, I really am trying to, even myself, right. As a, as a content creator, trying to understand, you know, what role does consistency play? What role does range? What role does specificity, right? Like your leaves, you know, all days, uh, you know, all week long, seven days a week, you know, 24 seven. Um, and I've tried to, you know, very similar. This isn't my all in path. Uh, it's a fun, you know, uh, I guess side hobby and, and source of momentum outside of my career, which, you know, can be like we just talked about, uh, pretty all consuming all the time. Uh, if you let it, you don't have other sources of, you know, frankly, stimulation, uh, in your life. But like, I love that. And, and at some point, how empowering to bet on yourself and be able to see to it, you know, through the other side and with everything riding on it, the house and, uh, you know, your fiance, now wife. And, um, what was the conversation with her when you started to, did you ever propose like, like, was there a reveal of this big idea or were you just like subconsciously doing it and hopefully <laughs> and hoping that she didn't figure it out what you were, what you were going after? So she's the one who bought me my first webcam. So this is her fault. Like she, she had plenty. She saw it from its birth. She had lots of time to back out. So I, I hope, I don't know, we're getting a renovation in the backyard because of this job. So she better like it. Yeah. So uh, now what? Yeah. <laughs> so now what? Um, you know, uh, she, no, she's been extremely supportive and my friends were too. And, you know, listen, I got some sideways glances, you know, when I made a, f a few videos and I specifically, I, I caught a couple people when I was an intern, they were watching my video, like sort of trying to cover the screen with me in the room. And they're like, what the, what is this guy? That's the kid. That's because I was like the youngest or second youngest yeah. intern. I was like 20. And they're like, what, who do we, who is this lunatic that we've hired and like given responsibilities to? So I don't, I don't know. It's, it, I've, I've seen some things recently. I hope he didn't take it personally. There, there was a video going around recently where this guy was talking about uh, your passion and what you're passionate about. And he was saying, well, you'll be passionate about something if you're good at it. Um, so, like, don't follow your dreams. Follow what you're good at sort of thing. And it was retweeted by Hal Gill, who, you know, longtime defenseman yeah. in the NHL. I think he's an analyst now. And I hope he didn't take it personally because I just responded to him. I'm like, bro, you played in the NHL. Like, how are you telling people not to follow their dreams? You played in the best hockey league in the world. You know, so I... There are far more realistic paths I could have taken. Um, but now I look at the industry and I go, what's more realistic than building something by yourself and then trying to go into the business? I was told something very, like very, um, like he saw into the future for sure. Uh, and I want to say this was like 2009, 2010. Um, my boss at Leafs TV, he goes, here's how it's going to work one day. One day you're going to go apply for a job at like the Toronto Star newspaper or something. That's that's where he was wrong. No one's applying for, you know, a newspaper right now. But he had the right idea. He goes, you're going to apply for a job. And they're going to be like, you have a journalism degree? Yes. Okay. Well, we, we read samples of your work and it's very good. We like it. How, how many followers do you have? Well, I only have 300. Okay. Well, go out and get 10,000. And then come back and we'll hire you. Sort of something like that. So he he predicted that it's... Uh, I don't want to say companies don't develop talent anymore. That's not fair. 
they do, but you almost you do have to do a certain level of developing yourself, um, not just the, from a content standpoint, but from a distribution standpoint. And by that, I mean building a following. You know, so you got to build that, and then the companies come to you. Um, telling a kid how to apply to get into the business today, I wouldn't know what to tell them. Like, I, I feel bad because I used to I used to say, oh, try this, try that, try that. And I'm, it's hard. It's hard. There used to be a lot more outlets, at least in this market. And then The Athletic comes along and, you know, they're a new player. So it's, you know, Sportsnet, TSN, The Athletic. There's a lot of blogs in there. It's, it's a wild landscape. But I, I would like to think that I'm proof that you can take a wacky sort of approach to it and still make it. If that makes sense. I mean, I I didn't take a single on-camera course in school. Um, I was generally, like, pretty shy. And I didn't play hockey growing up. And this is my job. How does that make any sense? Something in there... Something in there, you just took action and started to learn on the job. And that was honestly my podcast approach. I'm like, listen, uh, you know, dumber people than I have done really well in this medium, you know, similar to you, my wife's to blame. She, I uh, had this, uh, I was on this kick where I'm like, you know what I need to do? I need to do what uh, Warren Buffett does. I need to say no to more things in my life. Right. So, uh, anything that's, that's new, I just need to say no to it and focus on the habits that I want to, you know, integrate right now. And for me at the time, like everybody, I was trying to read more, right? And, and there's so much demand on our modern day attention. I'm trying to read more. I'm trying to read more. And Lexi tells me at the time, she's like, you know, I really think there's this like, uh, there's this audio medium. There's these podcasts where these really brilliant authors and scientists and athletes and comedians, and they're all on this, this medium. And you can honestly find any type of information that you'd want uh, in sort of this free flowing format. And I really think you'd like this podcast form. And I'm like, Lexi, listen, kick rocks. I've got, a, I've got a million things on my mind. You know, no one's asking to be busier. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, I just need to focus on what I'm doing. And I don't even remember what podcast it was that kicked it off, but I couldn't believe uh, oh. what I was learning and what I was gaining from everyone else. And I had to bring it to, I, I wanted to participate in this conversation. I wanted to play you know, at the big boys table, I want to be able to pick others' brains and be able to borrow an hour of their time the way that, uh, and repackage it and give it to somebody the way that what I was taking from it. So what, what do you, what are some of your favorite podcasts that you listen to and want to emulate a little bit, or maybe not emulate, but you borrow th some things from? I listen to quite a few, um, I think Joe Rogan and the range and the way that he shows up with this beginner's mind, no matter what the topic is, is really admirable. Uh, he's really able to sit down and hold his own in a conversation, whether that's Neil deGrasse Tyson and pull out, you know, topics and, and concepts that are, you know, super interesting or applicable for, you know, your everyday people. Uh, I think Tim Ferriss is outstanding. I think he's just super inquisitive and, and structured in a way that I'm not. I'm a little bit more conversationalist and, and free flowing, but I really appreciate how organized he is and how prepared. And, um, I really started to appreciate, you know, I play a game for a living, right. And you're able to keep that in the forefront of your mind. If you have these other sort of like, um, techniques to maintain perspective. And one of them that I really like to do is listen to, you know, different business leaders or, you know, scientists who are, 
you know, trying to figure out what's going on in the galaxy. Like what is, is dark matter or, you know, business leaders who are, you know, running uh, investment funds, managing billions of dollars, and they can seriously ruin <laughs> people's, you know, retirement funds if, if with one wrong trade. Like those are some serious stakes uh, versus, you know, I play a game for a living. I was just listening to one. It's Dak Shepard, uh, Brené Brown, and Tim Ferriss, and it's pretty all-encompassing. They talk about their own podcasts and how they organize them and what their goals are. They discuss, you know, uh, emotional, you know, uh, intelligence and, and how they go about pursuing it. Uh, they go about, you know, their family lives, and, and then they end with like a, a rapid fire. And I was like, that was so digestible and impactful to listen to from those three people. And I was just grateful that all three of them lent the hour, you know, together to, for someone like me to listen to. I, I think too, you would find really interesting, um, for non sports content. Uh, anyway, uh, I started just smashing my way through this podcast called science versus science versus um, right down. science versus with Wendy Zuckerman. She's Australian. She's just fun to listen to. Uh, from from that perspective, or just like listening to her voice, um, but she talks about some really interesting topics. Some things like they did this mini episode on they made a discovery about the fur of a platypus and how it like glows in the dark or something like that. Um, a lot of it has been COVID nineteen uh, and coronavirus content, but it's actually helped me understand it more. Um, and every show they manage to sneak in a segment called non-coronavirus content <laughs> where they'll talk Thank about you. like a big discovery in archaeology or, you know, it's, it's a re really interesting show that I think you would really dig. And like you said, it's uh, digestible. And from a sports standpoint, like I don't know how big of a basketball fan you are, but uh, JJ Reddick's show, um, I would love to see someone in the NHL uh try to do that a little bit more. I'm stunned. I'm always stunned by the way, as someone who covers hockey for a living, I'm always stunned at the way NBA players speak publicly. You know what I mean? Like they, they just give us no offense. No. But they just, they give us so much. Like Jimmy Butler was on JJ Reddick's podcast and he was just talking about what went wrong with the Philadelphia 76ers. The, the year they, they lost to the Raptors. And it was, as a Raptors fan, I was like, oh, like, so that's what was going on behind the scenes and everything. It was, it was fascinating to me. Just listener benefit trumps everything, right? Uh, and I, I think they really, they really get that. It allows them to speak freely. Well, that's what I'm, I'm hoping. And, and thank God for people like, you know, yourself and, and the media that does try to take on that responsibility of selling our game. Because as players... And as teams, I'm not positive we've always been the most creative or, or, you know, really taken responsibility for our growth in the game. And I think, you know, it started a little bit when I was growing up where you started to have access to players in other markets. Uh, you started to have access to the depth of story that couldn't be fit in a commercial. You know, it had to be in a YouTube video or, you know, I used to go uh, on NHL.com and they would do like different features of, of, of different players from around the league. And as a, as a young player, as a fan of the game, I, I couldn't consume enough of it. Like I remember, uh, there was one on NHL.com where, uh, Malkin had gotten hurt and it was this big series, like Pittsburgh strength and conditioning coach went over to Russia and they showed like, you know, Malkin's in like this dark rink. He's got these benches out and he's, he's, uh, he's, 
you know, flipping a puck over this stick when there's a stick like connecting the two benches and he's Superman diving underneath it and he's going and taking this shot. And it was, for me, it was like this insight into like old school Russian skill training that I, I couldn't stop watching. And then they go to the pool and it's like, it's him uh, and Sergey Gonchar doing laps. And then uh, they're outside in the rain and they got these like uh, hurdles that you might, you know, see in like a training video of guys jumping over you know, Malkin in the rain is like juggling this ball through these hurdles. And I don't know if you package that content. I, I don't know what you do with it, but for me, it's irrelevant. You, it, there needs to be more of it on a grand scale. Like I, I uh, just by chance, you know, had no idea that uh, Connor McDavid had done the whatever it takes video that was on YouTube in the 10, 10 minute clips. Uh, that was outstanding. You know, we need why off of the back of, you know, everyone watched it this summer, the last dance with Michael Jordan. Like oh. as soon as that ended, you mean like how ripe would, you know, sports fans have been for a Mario Lemieux documentary, you know, a, a, a Wayne Gretzky docuseries. And I think we'll continue to see it. I think players are starting to feel more and more empowered. They're, they're learning the right way to do it. I think that's what every player is afraid of, right? No one wants to be the guy that came out and, you know, talked about this, the D zone coverage that coach wanted to keep secret. And now all of a sudden he's in hot water, you know, or, or, you know, through a fit over ice time and in, in a way that they weren't super clear, but the words were tied, uh, you know, in a knot that they, you know, hadn't foreseen. Um, but as more and more players sort of step out, I made a joke. I think it was over quarantine. You know, you saw the NHL kind of flocking to TikTok, and it was like, uh, yeah. what was the like the there was like a meme. I, I think it was like an Arthur character of like them twiddling their thumbs and kind of like looking sheepishly, you know, towards the camera. And my joke was, I don't know who I sent it to, but I might have even tweeted it, where it was like every NHL player when asked about their TikTok performances after quarantine is over, <laughs> no, because we'd all <laughs> have to answer for it eventually, and. I don't know that I've, I'm in these locker rooms. There's, there's, there's funny guys. There's super smart guys. There's guys with all sorts of range of knowledge uh, that I think, you know, it's, it's needed from a fan perspective. Cause at the end of the day, like how competitive is it in the entertainment world? Like you're in it, right? Like you're competing with TikTok. You're competing with Instagram attention. You're competing with every sports highlight that's available in the world. You're competing with Netflix and, and the hours and hours of shows, you know, there and, you know, to have someone's attention in, in today's world is such a valuable asset, such a, such a trustworthy nod of, of respect. And, and, you know, to use that word again, trust. I think, I think, you know, you, you talked about competition there and I've never, th this is probably where you and I differ, or it maybe just our careers differ is like, I've never felt there are times where I feel competitive where I'm like, oh, I should be getting more views than that guy or, you know, why is that guy, you know, doing this and I'm, I want to be doing that. How come I'm not doing that? So I, I do get competitive like that sometimes, but I've never been like, like I've never looked at that, looked at Bar Down's YouTube channel, for example, and gone, how do I steal Bar Down viewers? You know what yeah. I mean? Like I just, I just kind of focus on making my stuff better because if I, if my stuff gets better, the numbers will go up like pretty much no matter what in hockey though, there are games to be won and lost, right? It's not even, you could play the best game of your life and lose. So I, I guess, I guess that's the, the difference of stakes, right? I've never, I've never as a sports net guy looked at TSN and been like, what are they doing and how can I 
take from from that. Like as as long as I like the growth is just the the mission here, um, not necessarily winning. Like you, you know having the, having the clock literally hanging above my head with the score uh, next to it. That's a completely completely different thing. I don't know how you handle it, man. Well, I, I think that that's a something I want to highlight because I was talking to Ronnie Lavovsky, who's a, a Torontonian friend of mine. Uh, he was an Instagram friend turned real friend, and he runs the Primal Cormet uh, Instagram page. And he, very similar to yourself, where he just got to a point uh, with his Instagram personality where he had an opportunity to you know monetize it and make it his full-time job. I mean, he was a professor at University of Toronto and just decided you know, I think this is more worthwhile. And he doubled down on his cooking blog and on his Instagram and he, you know, came out with a a cookbook. Very similar where it was never a beating others concept. It was never a, um, how can I, you know, really monetize this until he really had to and put all his eggs in that basket. But it really was this concept of, I love doing this. I love being able to help the consumer, the the, the consumer of this content. So, and therefore I want to make it as good as I can. And And I'm, I'm going to sit down and make the cooking video anyway. Why not make it, you know, beautiful uh, and, and as excellent as I could. And all of a sudden he's like, I looked up and had, you know, two, three hundred thousand followers, whatever it was. And, and off I went and opened all these other doors. And it really was this. And again, I think this is similar to the, to highlight again, what your cop neighbor said in the real world, there is this element of if you provide for society there is this abundance that is available to you. Like there, there is an endless and infinite amount of opportunity uh, that you can produce and create. The hard, cold reality in the NHL is there's 700 spots <laughs> or whatever it is. And you know exactly, you know, how many there are. Um, you know, coaches, management will remind you constantly. You know, you think you had a good day at the rink and you get home and all of a sudden you check Twitter and, well, they just signed 12 people to take your spot. Like, you know, that's the world we live in. So I would say even with mine, I wouldn't say I'm competitive. I'm not trying to steal followers from, you know, Steve Dangle. I, I was joking about, you know, trying to put a hole in your boat, you know, when I first started and, um, you know, but really, <laughs> but I, I will say that similar to how I, you know, built my hockey career where I would just watch YouTube clips and, and try and study what the best players were doing. It was very similar where, okay, what, what, are the best podcasters? Who are they? What type of people do they have on their show? What kind of range do they start super narrow? Do they start a little bit more wide? Where am I entering at into this sort of market? You know, what do I already have that I don't want to screw up uh, versus what do I want to have, you know, when this is all said and done. And, you know, I really did try to sort of reverse engineer and we're still trying. I'm not saying I have all the answers. Colin Steingard, uh, my producer and I are always, you know, ping pong and ideas and, and trying to you know, it could be as simple as trying to go M&M style, writing down different words I liked, you know, in a, in a, in a particular podcast that Tim Ferriss had, uh, you know, to greater brainstorming exercises. I don't know. It's, I find it very stimulating. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, you mentioned your friend. He just looked up one day and he had this huge following. It's, it's like you said a few minutes ago, you know, when you saw my first few videos, I was very clearly not a guy with a plan or, or a guy with like any real intention of uh, making this into a career or anything. In, in terms of, um, you know, I was thinking about like what I'm proud of. I'm proud of like my YouTube channel and what I've done with it. 
but like generally speaking, I'm not like individually proud of videos yeah. because it's just, it's just me reacting to a hockey game. That's how I look at it. Um, uh, the podcast I'm proud of too, in general, individual podcasts. I'm like, oh, we did a good job or I did a good job in that podcast. Um, I'm far more proud of the like features that we do on Sportsnet, like trade trees and stuff where we look at a trade from like, we looked at the Gretzky those trade from so 1988. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love those. I'm, dude, I think they're cool. It, like, it's great that I work on, it's great to work on something that I think is cool, that I yeah. would love to watch. You know, I, I really like making that stuff. But I think, it, because that's a feature, it's not a reaction, right? Like, that's, we did research. We worked really hard on it. It wasn't instant analysis sort of thing. But I think what I'm most proud of um, over you know, the last few years is all the charity stuff, because I think just having a big following and that's it. Like I'm the only person who benefits from it. I think that's crap. Um, so, you know, uh, Ken Reed from Sportsnet got me involved in, um, a charity called Easter Seals, which my family mm -hmm. actually benefited from when I was a kid, uh, because my sister has cerebral palsy and they would help her get equipment, AFOs for her ankles and wheelchairs and stuff like that. The summer camps, we went to two of them. And Ken's like, oh, yeah, Eric Lindros hosts this hockey tournament every year. Do you want to play in it? And I go, Ken, I've never played a hockey game my entire life. He goes, so? And, like, no one's ever said that to me. Yeah. People have been like, hey, do you want to play? And I just go, I've never done it. And they go, oh, okay, never mind. And he just goes, so? He goes, we, we got at least a guy or two on the team who will they're in the same boat as you they suck get out there it's not about the money it's not about you shut up and get out there and raise some money i go okay so i was both our worst player and our top fundraiser in the That's first awesome. year um, yeah. and but you know so and but then it became this this addiction and and you know this year was harder obviously because of covid and a lot of people are out of work and everything but we still raised as a team i think it was 57,000 and last year we raised over a hundred thousand. And over the years I've been doing this, I think we've raised probably over a quarter of a million dollars for this charity. I'm extremely proud of that. Um, you should and be. it has that's, nothing to do with work, you know? That's honestly one of the reasons to take a step back from the, the podcast about social media at all. Why did I ever even start to care or put anything out there? Because really at the time there was nothing but ridicule to come. Like there there was really no obvious reward to engaging in this type of work, especially given where I've been in a depth chart in the National Hockey League. It just, it, there was a lot to lose and not a ton to gain. And I remember uh, Mitch Marner launched his Marner Assist Fund. And it was, it was, it was like five star across the board. The, the level of talent he was able to acquire, the, the level of uh, people that were able to come, the, the quality of the event, the attention it got, the corporate sponsors it got. And I thought to myself, I'm like, how was he able to attract, you know, such interest so quickly? And it's the size of his audience. He's extremely likable. People trust, you know, they know what they're getting in Mitch, right? Like he's, he's authentically himself. And I thought to myself, if I can build that relationship with that amount of people, Someday when I launch my own event, I'll be able to have that type of momentum. And it really was in the, in the, I don't want to say the back of my mind, it was really at the forefront of like my master plan when I'm trying to think of, okay, how can I, you know, frankly get people to like me or, or listen to me or, or care what I have to say, or, or above all, trust me 
uh, it really was with this goal that eventually I'd love to do something, uh, you know, charitable in nature, whether it was my own event uh, or, you know, really throwing my uh, name in the hat for a particular cause. I haven't, you know, totally decided what that would be yet. Um, but I wanted that sort of, that ability to go from zero to one that someone like he, he did. And I always joke, like in terms of brand development, the best thing I could do this year is score 50, but it's hard. Like I'm really trying, (laughs) but you know, the national (laughs) hockey league, it's not easy. So this is a little bit easier, you know, cheaper form of entry. Um, and I'll take whatever I can get. For sure. I mean, man, when you were on the Marlies, I thought you were destined to score 50 though. You know what? That was one of the more, you know, we were talking about it a little bit before, you know, we started to hit record, but, you know, I really tried to, I've always identified as an offensive defenseman. That's what I, when I was back in the day, uh, you know, the OHL does its rankings, right? I was ranked a double A defenseman. You know, it was like myself, Jacob Trubin, like Pat Seeloff, and I think there might have been one more. Uh, back in the day. And like my comparable was like Ryan Ellis. That was the guy. And that was kind of my plan. I wanted to go to Windsor. I had this whole plan on how to get there because they were picking last in the, in the draft. Then the U S development team, uh, you know, this was in like November of, it would be my sophomore year of high school. They offered me a position as a forward. Actually, that's how offense driven I was at the time. I was playing defense at the time. And they offered me a spot as, as a forward, uh, as an early commitment, right? Like they do their, uh, the old school 40 camp. I think there's more players now that go to it. Uh, and I said no. And the plan was still to kind of find a way to get to the OHL at the age of 16. And the U.S. team said, all right, fine. If you want to play on our team as a defenseman, though, you're seriously going to have to learn how to check. Like you're really going to have to learn how to play the game. And I said, fine. And I really dedicated myself. And then in February... I ended up committing to, you know, the U.S. uh, development team and, you know, wasn't able to really play an offensive role there. Um, We had a pretty loaded defense core and I wasn't playing power play and things like that. It was super competitive. Get to Plymouth, totally blossomed. Like that was very similar to my Marley's run where uh, I had led uh, all defensemen in scoring in the playoffs in the OHL that year, despite not making the final, you know, so there was kind of a couple opportunities where I really, you know, showcased on on a big, important stage offensively. And in the NHL, it's tough. You've got to uh, you've got to score early, otherwise you're really at a deficit. You know to prove that that's something you can get paid to do night in night out. And and you know frankly, you know you can. There's only one puck out there. There's only you know two minutes on a power play. There's only so many offensive opportunities in a game. Uh, it's still something I struggle with to try to it keeps me up at night, man. Like trying to bottle up that Marley's that run that that puck confidence, that clarity of, of, you know, where and when I'm going to, you know, shoot, make a fake, that kind of thing. That was, that was probably the purest I've ever felt in the game. I just woke up every day ready to go. Like if, if I had played good the night before, it meant nothing to me because I knew I had more to do. And if I had played bad, it didn't matter to me because I knew I was capable of playing good that night. Like there was such clarity of what I wanted to do. It, uh, it was a beautiful time in my life. What, what is the biggest benefit of having Sheldon Keefe as your head coach? I had never had a coach at that time be as clear with what he thought would give us sustained offensive success. And I was so impressed with the level at which we 
practiced and that he planned to allow us to continue to play in the offensive zone. For example, we would do this thing, um, this drill where you would play in the ozone. It'd be like a, it'd be like a neutral zone counter into the ozone. F1 would kind of, you know, cycle around, whatever, have the puck go, you know, pass low to high to the D men, continue down the ice and go change. The D men, meanwhile, would go D to D, you know, a guy was on the net would fall off, you know, into almost like a box of one looking spread. And you would go, you know, so the original F1 passed the top D, they went D to D across the blue line. He would hit now what would be F2 or F3, the guy that had peeled off the net. And then there would be an F3 coming off the bench and you would, that four would then have to find him. And then the drill would like repeat. So it was almost like this way of practicing an offensive zone change in a way that I had never seen. And that was just one clear example where I was like, oh, if you want to, what, what does every coach say? We want to come in waves, right? You hear this term, we want to come in waves. What are, what are waves? What does that mean? Well, yeah. what we want is we want to have each line get an opportunity to play against tired players. Like we want to go through each and every line uh, before their team has a, an opportunity to change, right? And then there was this concept of like, okay, if we do that, what can we know? We know that they're going to have tired players. So as soon as they get the puck out, there's not going to be a rush against. They're too tired. They're looking for the red line to dump it in or just to chip it out, whatever. As soon as they chip it out, we know what they're doing. They're going to change. What's an odd man rush where you're able to come in with more players than them. So as they're diving in the bench, you know, looking for the gas mask for, you know, uh, the oxygen tank, right? Yeah. We're going to go right up and we're going to play four on two because they've got three guys changing. And it was like this way of reverse engineering to lean on that term again of what is offensive zone time? What is an odd man rush? Those are the two things that really lead to scoring. And how can we consistently produce those two things? And that to me was really profound. So you're, you're describing the play and I'm doing my best in my never played hockey brain to picture it. And the goal that comes to mind is game seven, Dickie Clune against Albany. Did, do you remember that goal? Am, am I nailing it? Was that? I remember Because yep, I remember yep, there, yep. I remember there being a lot of low to high. I can't remember who, I want to say it was Sosh uh, put it on net. And then Dickie yeah, was like the ricocheted side. off the back. Yeah. Um, even, even the one before it, the one that I had scored, I think it was like seven minutes to go. You know, we have yeah. uh, oh. this, remember that, that play captain where he found me on the backside? Like we that had this such fast a pop. break. Such a I, pop. Wish I, I wish I could find uh, like more backlog of the clip where I could pull, you know, a more full clip. Um, but I remember watching it where, you know, somehow we break out, you know, Levo hits uh, Nylander up the middle. Nylander's flying, kind of misses his chance off the rush. And again, it was right away like, how can we manufacture more offense? Like uh, Willie's going to get it right back. He's going to, you know, get that puck to, to Cappy. And a lot of coaches, and I'm not saying which one's right or wrong. It's totally dependent on the talent. We had a very talented team. And, you know, Sheldon had been there for some time to really build habits with his players. Uh, but what do you hear a lot of, particularly at the AHL level, right? You hear just because the offensive talent on a whole is, is a lot lower on average. Obviously, the best players are in the NHL. You hear a lot of times, you know, shoot. Coaches want you to shoot. And I would, you know, joke, yes, I, I agree that there's definitely a, a time and place to shoot, but it's like, is our best offensive advice, like I call it 300 level seat 
advice, you know, where the fans yell shoot. Like, is that really the end all be all of our entire <laughs> offensive plan? And, and, uh, Cappy, sure enough, you know, stares right at the goalie, you know, gets him to bite and you have the allowance for, you know, defensemen to be in the rush. Like I was, uh, to sneak on the backside of somebody. Now, all of those things are, yes, you need players that have the ability to execute and to see those things, you know, the hockey IQ and the poise and all that. But for the most part, like if you get to the National Hockey League or even as a top level HL player, like you're a serious player. You're, you're capable of a lot on the rink, but, you know, we're, try, we're, we're employees. We're trying to make our coach happy. And, you know, so at some point the coach is going to define what's good and bad. The coach is going to define, you know, what they view as sustainable success. And, uh, I'm interested to see, like, I, uh, you know, still have friends on the Leafs and things like that. And, and like everybody, you know, in Toronto, the media seeps into the hockey world and, and, you know, we hear about a lot of their line combinations before we even know ours, that kind of thing. Um, I'm interested to see what they end up, what they end up doing. You know, I really am. Um, so I, I get caught up on that on that run just because it's it was the only time I was ever like a beat reporter. Like I, I yep. was like covering your practices, covering your games and stuff. So I, I get hung up on that. But we, we talked about the last dance and it doesn't end the same way. But there was something about the 16-17 season with the Leafs that it somehow comes up once an episode on the podcast. There was There was some sort of magic about it that we love and and still talk about. So let's let's pretend your memory is is the last dance camera. What what would Connor Carrick's memory bring to the last dance documentary of the 1617 Leaf season? You know, one of my favorite highlights is when we had to tell Connor Brown to go to the ending that we had also made the playoffs with that big goal. It wasn't just that he had scored 20 that year. So in amongst our friend group, we were all, <laughs> we were all carving them being like, Hey Brownie, just so you know, we also made the playoffs. Like we get it. You scored 20. Like you can get excited for this too. Uh, just to give, <laughs> just to give him a hard time. And you know, I think it was Bozak. Bozak had originally, uh, you know, started that. What was so fun about that year. And it's interesting, right? Cause uh, in New Jersey, even now, you know, we've had a, a, a tough couple, you know, finishes and, and there's, you know, going to be a similar plan, right? Where they have some, some youth and, and what I remember, and there's going to be this, you know, big plan to build towards this, you know, high end team that can contend for years and years and years. That's the vision of every NHL team. Right. And, uh, I remember that 16, 17 year, there was such motivation and pressure as a player. You knew this team had found some, some studs, you know, Matthews, Marner, we knew what they were capable of, uh, Nylander, uh, you know, I can't remember when we, you know, capping in, like there was going to be a lot of offensive talent and there was this hunger for anyone that was considered, you know, more of a supportive player and amongst even the older players to create chemistry and to create success around them because, you know, the team had really gone through this stripping of all any old talent had gotten shipped out, bought out, whatever. And there was this, uh, you know, kind of polishing off of all the pieces that they wanted to move forward with. And it was, there was this open-mindedness. There was this excitement amongst the young players that the older guys just liked them and wanted to play with them. Uh, the older players were excited, you know, and, and I would guess, you know, frankly relieved of all the pressure, you know, of, of having some of these young studs around to create, you know, the scoring and, and the danger that that team wanted. 
And I mean, I remember, I mean, first off, uh, Matthew's four goal game was one of the coolest things I'd been a part of in hockey. I couldn't believe like what a special moment that'll be for him for the rest of his life. No matter what he accomplishes in his career, you can only have one first game and for it to go that well, uh, in, you know, what's considered a rivalry game. And, you know, Eric Carlson was still there and, you know, he's taken pucks off his stick, you know, 50 time all-star, however many times he's been to the game, uh, was just, it was wild. It, It really did feel surreal. Um, I remember some of the pressure building up, you know, over that first half, I remember we were, I don't know what we were, uh, but we were, what, what the exact numbers would be, but we had had like, I want to say if, uh, we were leading the league in two period leads at that, at one point, uh, where we were like like blowing them and it was like, okay, guys, like we got to (laughs) stop, we got to stop blowing third period leads because we're going to, you know, they're not going to let us forget about it if we do. Uh, we were able to, you know, tighten our game down. And I think um, it was kind of like we we're on this secret little mission. You know, everyone knew outside of our room, you know, uh, Lou Lamarillo did his best. Mike Babcock did his best to limit expectations. And I remember Paul Maurice, right? Because we had to, like a sneaky, bitter rivalry with Winnipeg just because of the Lion A Matthews thing. Uh, I remember Paul Maurice made, you know, this comment about like, I don't know how the Leafs have shed any expectations of the playoffs, but they're a real team over there. You, do you remember that? Because Winnipeg had had high expectations and he had made something in the media. And I remember thinking like, oh, he's on to us. Because everything, all, all the talk in our room was like, we're trying to make the playoffs. I, I don't know what you guys think. We we're in last place last year. We're trying to make the playoffs this year. Our team's good. I don't know what else to tell you. Um, so it was it was cool. It was, um, you know, one of the... Uh, you know, and, and it was really my longest year in the NHL at that point. You know, I, I had uh, played quite a few games and, you know, you're trying to, you know, jostle for more ice time each and every day, really. And, and it was so competitive at that time because he just didn't know who was going to come out ahead. It was, um, it was fascinating, you know, the beginning of my career there. It was, it was really cool. I like the, we're good. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was <laughs> so good. I, I do remember the first, I want to say the first month and a bit, you were like striking distance of playoffs, like not quite there. A lot of games where, a lot of games went sort of best case scenario in my head as a fan, because yeah. it was such a young team. To expect them to, well, them, to expect you guys at such a young age after finishing last like to to blow the doors off seemed unreasonable. So I'm like, you know what? They're going to lose a lot of games, but they're going to look competitive and they're going to look fun. And that's pretty much how the first two months went. Then it's like winter somewhere in there. You guys are in a playoff spot. And I remember people kept saying, well, how are you going to look at the season if they do miss the playoffs, but they did really well and they got really close? I'm like, buddy, they're in a playoff spot now. So if they don't make it, it's because they lost it. You know, it's that whole thing about yeah. blowing leads and everything. So it was it was an extremely stressful year for me as a fan because it was something I hadn't felt in a long time covering the, the team where, you know, you're just hoping, okay, get some young players, rebuild. It was me going, oh, my God, they're actually going to do this. They're going to make the playoffs in a full season for the first time since 2004. 
it was oh yeah i forget it's it so good long, to hear yeah. your inside perspective because i still talk about it it's it's a season that makes me feel like a kid you know it's one that makes me feel like a kid too because you know very similar we had so many young players trying to figure it out but we had you know uh, a hyper veteran staff that demanded you know extreme professionalism like our habits day in day out the way we practiced it was a competitive team um you know, you look back, I remember even the hoopla around, you know, was Mitch going to make the club that year? Remember that was a conversation? Like they were yep. talking about Austin being on the team for sure. And then, you know, Mitch will see. And I remember we were doing a scrimmage before camp had started. And, you know, Gardner, uh, you know, Jake and I had played a lot th- together that year. And he looks over at me. He's like, people are talking about this kid not making the team. Like, I think he might be our best player. Like, I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> you know, like something off the cuff like that. And it really was like, everyone was like, yeah, they can say they're not sure if it's going to make the team, but this kid's really good. Um, and that's what's always cool about it as a player, right? Like players know when you, even as a, as, a, as a team, when you're going into another team, you, you know what kind of feeling it gives you that you're playing against them. You know that they're underrated or they're playing well or they're on a winning streak, uh, but they're vulnerable. And, you know, players know. Players know players. Players, that sounded a little bit like Babs there. Players know players. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a good pro. No, I. Uh, who was he's going to do analysis? I saw somewhere. Um, I think NBC. I think uh, I saw it. NHL or NBC. Yeah, NBC. Interesting. Interesting. Um, well, Steve, that's uh, that's about all I got for us today, man. I I really appreciate your time, and it's always fun to celebrate. You know, my uh, HL scoring titles, I'll say hi to Andreas Johnson. I think the latest Marley to do that. That's now a devil yep. as well. Um, That's going to be cool. Yeah, yeah. He's He looks great. He's uh, It's good to see him again. Um, this was a lot of fun, man. You got any other uh, questions for me before we, before we jam? Uh, okay. Do, are you reading dad books? Yeah, I got... Uh, some, which one is it? It's not in here. I got this one book. Uh, it's on like the culture of French parenting. I forget the name of it. Um, I think it's Bebe in France or something. Something. Bringing up Bebe. That's yeah. it. With B-E-B-E with the um, accent on them. It's like a Julia Child's version where she went and took French cooking and made it accessible to Americans. This woman journalist goes over and, and does the same thing. Really interesting. I think I probably shouldn't have read that one because I'm not sure like real parenting decisions uh, at the level that this book's talking about enter in as early as, you know, in the next month to four months like we talked about. And now I'm reading another one. Uh, Lexi and I have a doula um, that we're really excited about. She's awesome. Uh, And Lexi was pretty clear that she, you know, wanted a doula. Her OB had originally said, you know, what's your uh, pain management, you know, plan? Uh, and Lex, and before Lex could even speak, because uh, her OB was like, because I believe in you know either an epidural or a doula, so it's up. To, <laughs> so we're like, all right, I guess we gotta you know try and uh, you know find a doula, and we'll see. Then there's um something about the birth partner. I'm reading that one right now. Uh, our doula had given it to us like a week ago, and it's like 400 pages. So I got some meat on that bone. I got to get after. Yeah. So that that'll probably be the rest of my day trying to take off 100 pages of that. So you can do that, but I was a big, oh, I, don't worry, I'm prepared. I've read all the dad books. 
Um, and it's like reading a lot about hockey and then stepping on the ice for an NHL game. Different, just, different deal. It's just, it helped. There were times where it helped, but it's, it's Here, a different I, I, ball game. I'll leave you with this quote. There was, uh, I remember my first NHL game was in Chicago, right? Against my hometown team, the Blackhawks. Oh, and, so cool. and they're raising the Stanley Cup banner from the year before, right? Because I came in in 2013, 2014. They had won 2012, 2013. And you come out and they got, you know, the lights, I don't know if they're candles or people's phones or towels, whatever they have. And it's just lit up everywhere. And they're raising the Stanley Cup banner. I was so nervous. Patrick Kane, Marion Hosa, Brandon Saad, uh, Duncan Keith, you know, Corey Crawford. They're loaded still, right? Um, and, you know, I, I, I had had an outstanding preseason. I was playing like 26 minutes a night. I was on the power play. I was on the penalty kill. I know now the value of the opportunity that I got. You know, Adam Oates had given me this golden opportunity that I couldn't have dreamt asking for. And so I make the team out of camp. My first game's in Chicago. And I, uh, the game was fast. Like it felt fast. So I was talking to my dad. I'm asking him, or he's asking me, he's like, what was the, what was your first game like? And I said, compared to the preseason, it's almost like the guys decided to tie their skates tonight. Like it was such a difference that it was, it was so profound. I couldn't believe the jump in intensity, the jump in pace, the jump in, you know, execution. Um, you know, even from those final days of training camp where guys really are ramping up and a lot of the major cuts have been made. Uh, it's an, it's an incredible game that we both love. I'll tell you that. Man, I'm, I'm excited for you to be a dad. Uh, it's, it's going to be really cool. Um, there are a lot of things I will say where like you're, you're Lexi's help. Like you're, you're her employee. Like (laughs) you, like she's going to delegate and you just got to kind of do it. Um, but it's, it's going to be a really, really cool experience for you. Uh, and I'm happy for you, man. Congrats. Thanks Dangle. Yeah, we're excited. We're excited in season, baby. Who'd have dreamt, but, uh, Tell you what, nine months ago we weren't sure if we're gonna have a season or not. So you know, lots life changed. had to go on. <laughs> lots changed. Lots changed. Lots changed. So Dangle, in light of in light of the name of the show, what does it mean to you to be a curious competitor? Is that something you aspire to be? I I think so. I I think I aspire to be a curious competitor because I think there's especially for men. Um, for boys, if you will, there, there's a lot of stuff out there. Uh, a lot of guys who just, I'm, I'm very weary of any guy who claims to have all the answers and they do those, those really inspirational videos. And maybe they got like dramatic Jurassic park violin music behind them. And, and they're telling you how to live your life. And then, you know, the, you know, every guy wants to be the alpha male and, you know, I'm the, I'm the king of this or I'm the king of that. I, I think being a curious competitor is not necessarily, you still want to do well. You still want to be the best or the best you can be at very least. But to be a curious competitor, you got to admit that there are things you don't know, that you're not currently the best, that you're not in your final form if you will. So to me, being a curious competitor means, uh, you know, being someone who wants to improve um, and willing to learn. Does that make sense? I love that. Yeah, that 
if I had to write down my definition when we started the show, that's it. That's it. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> this was awesome, man. I really appreciate your time and, uh, you know, all the best up north with the North Division. I'm excited to see what happens and I think like everybody else, excited to watch all those games and, and McDavid and Matthews play each other 200 times and Line A and Matthews play each other 200 times and yeah, well, good good luck in your division. With uh, I th- I think that's maybe the nastiest division in terms of rivalry, maybe outside of Canada. Yeah, it's heavy. Yeah, it's heavy. So have fun with it's that. It's heavy, but yeah, nah, no kidding. You're not locked in there with them. One. They're locked in there with you. <laughs> Predator of the prey, right? Talk <laughs> about that again. Yeah. Thank you to all of our guests today for sticking with uh, Dangle and I. Uh, in another world, uh, my dad, I think, is going to need to talk to Steve about his nickname because Daddy Dangles was his pond hockey alter ego. So I thought that, that was uh, an interesting, you know, uh, parallel to draw. And, and if my dad ends up listening to this podcast, I'll have to uh, check in with him, see what his thoughts are. Three points that I thought I want to pull from Steve and I's conversation today is this concept of how he's not particularly proud of any one episode or I call them like trampoline moments uh, in his life. It's the body of work as a content creator that he's most proud of. It's his consistency to show up week in, week out, uh, and really continue to play the long game that he's most proud of. And I thought that was uh, really distinct of him to recognize about his journey. Second, uh, when I asked Dangle what it meant to him, if he was a curious competitor, what that meant to him, this concept of beginner's mind shown through in his answer. I think that it's really disarming when we show up with this concept of uh, we're on a journey and we really are simply here for growth. We're not going to be hyper aware of criticism of ourselves or um, overly critical of of where we were yesterday. And when we can do that and simply focus on the growth of today for a better tomorrow, I think that's really powerful uh, and, and sort of disarming. And then third, it's evident in every word that Dangle says he's a passionate, enthusiastic guy. Uh, and I think that when you approach life with passion, when you bring energy uh, to your life, great things can happen. No one, you know, is really interested in having less energy. No one wants to be around uh, an Eeyore. And Dangle has this this Tigger mentality, this this energy, this vibrance, this enthusiasm that makes you want to stick around and hear what he has to say. And it's it's, you know, provided the backbone really, I think, uh, for his, you know, career path. And, uh, you know, for all of our listeners, thank you for sticking with us. Please continue to like, uh, subscribe and comment on this podcast. This one was a little bit of a trip down memory lane, but, you know, forgive me, uh, Steve Dangle, as evidenced by, if you watched on video today, uh, the room that he was in, he is a huge uh, Leafs fan. He makes uh, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's, you know, what he's here to talk about. Uh, and, you know, for me, it was, you know, really where I started uh, a lot of my initial career. And I'm still trying to, you know, process and pull the lessons from that time uh, out. And so it's interesting to hear uh, someone else's perspective, what a gift that is. You know, uh, we can only, I guess, have a perspective uh, from our own lens. And, and when we're able to borrow that from somebody else, it can be really Uh, really rewarding. So thank you for joining us wherever you are in the world. I look forward to seeing you again next week.